Well, hello, and welcome again to the Memoirs of Abiding podcast. I'm Chris Bryant, and today I'm joined by a special guest, Scott Mazder. We wanted to start something a little different and counter to what many have been taught or learned through experience. Our topics will be practical and theological, focusing on what the early church saw. What we are going to talk about isn't some new idea, but rather an old idea gaining traction again. Our tell is sharing our experiences and looking at the Bible on this material. What I ask is that you'll take it into your own devotion time and ask the Lord how best to apply it. We will continue to talk about this material each week, and we have blogs addressing practical applications at www.memoirsofabiding.com. We hope you experience God through talking about his word with us. So, Scott, um, we go back quite a number of years, back to our uh, crazy boy days of um, running around in the greater Seattle area. And um, it's, it's, a, it's a pleasure to have you on here and to hear your story, um, especially considering we haven't seen each other in, in many years, even through all the COVID and all that. So I'm as excited as probably some of our, our listeners are to hear your story and to talk about this month of surviving the storm and, and not only surviving, but abiding through it. So if you'll just introduce yourself as a, as a person and then introduce us to your, your trial, that your storm that you went through, we'd be, uh, we'd be glad to hear it. Yeah. So I guess for me, probably a couple of key things to know about me just to, to introduce myself. I'm married. I have four littles. They may or may not be heard in the background. <laughs> I've been married for 10 years. I work as a mental health therapist. And so I work a lot in the area of complex trauma. I have been a believer since I was wee little five-year-old sitting on my stepfather's lap. And, and so, yeah, um, that's just a, probably a very quick bit about me. And then, yeah, the story that I was going to share today is really just a story of when you and I were talking about, you know, what's, what's a moment in your life where, you know, you had that hard moment, those, those life kind of shift moments and where, where I just actively vividly felt the presence of the Lord and where abiding bared much fruit in, in my life. And so that story is really the birth of my third child. Her name's Amelia. And so can I just lead into that if that's all right? Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah. All right. So, so a few things just, just about it. So throughout the whole pregnancy, you know, just really positive, you know, everything's going well, ultrasounds are going well, all that. And we um, were having a home birth for her and had doc, you know, doc come and everything. And, and so getting kind of leading up to that, just getting ready, all the, the usual for, for getting ready. And so the day came where Amanda went into labor. Um, Amanda's always had fairly quick labors, so we called the docs. They come. Labor's progressing pretty fast. Everything's kind of positive signs. Heartbeat sounds good. And then Amelia, when she was born, it was about five minutes of confusion because she was born and she wasn't breathing and she didn't take those first big kind of gasp, big breaths that you want uh, a newborn to take. And so within about oh, 60 seconds or so, 
we know something's wrong. Clearly the, our, our, our doctor and our midwife kind of snap into, to kind of saving mode, if you will, and start giving her rescue breaths, call 911, a massive team of firefighters came through our house and within five, five, about five minutes, maybe six minutes of her birth, she is being with Amanda being rushed to the hospital. And so being scary moment. Her, very scary. Um, so I, of course, was left behind, couldn't ride with her. There was no one there with our other children, but I was quick, quickly behind her. My sister lives in town and I called her up and, and said, you know, she came over, watched the kids. I headed to the hospital. So a lot of confusion. I think this is probably one of the first parts of this story where, where the presence of the Lord is active. And I think it's active in a way that a lot of people, you know, so very quickly I'm on the phone to, you know, strong relationships that, that I have. And, you know, I had one of my best friends, um, called him up two thirty in the morning is the time, and probably the most incoherent sense sense that I could say to him. I was like, uh, so I called my mom first and let her know, and then then I called him because my mom can't drive at night, and so I, maybe thirty seconds if that. I was like, hey, uh, baby was born, she's not breathing. Can you go pick up my mom? Come down here. And he's like, what? The baby was born. She's not breathing. Get my mom, come down. Ooh. And that, I mean, I couldn't, I think, really think, but I think part of the beauty of the church is these deep relationships of compassion, care, that of people that are following the Lord. And, and the church, you know, this was definitely a moment where, like, people were bearing my burdens, you know, and, you know, where... I was at Galatians where, you know, uh, Paul says, bear one another's burdens. You know, this is a moment where people were bearing my burdens because him, um, good friend, mentor of mine, his father came down and they paid for a hotel for a week. They like got me cash just because they're like here. <laughs> yeah. And, and just that, that, you know, and they brought my mom with, they were here by the early morning. And it was, you know, hours of travel that they, they made quickly. And so we get to the hospital, I am able to see Amanda, you know, um, and they are, um, probably at this point, eight or nine different medical people working on my daughter in the, the NICU and I can, kind of peek in but they they wanted us out of the way more or less sure and so so they're doing you know ventilating you know making sure that she can breathe and and they are starting a treatment that's called like a hypothermia treatment basically they started lowering her body temperature to where um it would slow down the the process of um, I think it's called hypopoxia, but it could be wrong. Basically where if somebody hasn't had oxygen long enough, their, their brain starts to die. And they okay. found out that if like, so the, so the way they found this out is people that would drown in icy water, 
would survive versus people that drowned in like warm water. And like people could be under the water for a long time. And it's because slowing down the heart rate, slowing down the body with cold lets the brain heal faster than the cells that were dying died. And so it keeps the body from getting kind of toxic and, and stuff. So it's a really, I think, you know, amazing thing. So they put her on this. And at this point, it's, it's kind of a, we don't know what's going to happen. And, and you have to wait at least three days while they're kind of chilling, literally on us. So during this period, this, for any of the parents that are listening, sounds like the worst nightmare that could potentially happen during a birth. So describe some of your thoughts. And I, I know you're in, in fight or flight mode almost at that point yeah. where you just, everything kind of is automated. But if you can think back, what were some of the thoughts or the feelings that went through your mind during that process? When I, fortunately I, I gave myself a gift and I had, I wrote notes and kind of little things as that was going on because that's amazing. You know, I wasn't, you know, always very from for many parts I wasn't clear-headed but I think this is another point in where I think the just the active work of the Lord in my life because there would be moments where I needed to just be calm and clear-minded so that I could speak with doctors and make decisions and understand what they're saying and it would I, you ever jumped in the water like cold freezing water and it's just this rapid like shift from like warm to freezing or have oh, you yeah. ever like went from freezing to hot, like that really rapid transition. Yeah. It felt somewhat like that. Like there was just a, a blessing for the amount of time that I needed of clarity to talk with the doc, understand what they're saying. And I really comprehended what they were saying. And then I'd be kind of like delirious. <laughs> And, and again, you know, I just think of like a big passage during this time for me is, is Galatians, the fruits of the spirit, you know, the amount of peace that I felt at a time when peace doesn't make sense is, you know, part of just my story in relationship with the Lord. Like I didn't, yeah. So let me give you a description of kind of what those three days look like. So I basically lived in the hospital. Um, they were kind enough to give me kind of a room nearby. Um, and so it was like, I would stay there. I would sometimes take a break. Amanda more or less was home with the other two. And then we would kind of swap out. But I think her mama just mama instinct said like, I need to be with my babies. And, and she was really, I think, you know, again, emotionally, we're just really torn. Are we? at home with our, our kids? Are we at the hospital with our daughter? You know, what's, what's the right answer. And, and, you know, I think we had wisdom presented in our life is there is no right answer. Just do whatever you're doing and that'll be fine. Um, and so we talked and kind of, I did more hospital things than she did. And then she would get to come visit. So I handled a lot of the doctor things. And so it's just three days of, um, so her care ratio she was what uh, they gave us her ratio. She was a four to one care for those three days, which means there was four nurses, doctors, respiratory specialists that were assigned only to her. 
They didn't have any other patients. So, you know, when you, if you were to go into her room, it looked kind of like a computer server room. There were five different machines, like doing all sorts of different things to keep her alive. So a lot of just, you know, I, I think anxiousness, scary, you know, um, and I think, I don't think, you know, sometimes I've had folks ask me like, well, you know, God says, don't fear. And, I, you know, I don't think this is one of those moments that's being referenced in the same way. I wasn't hopeless, but I, I was still worried for my child. Yeah. You know, and I think the Lord, I know the Lord was right there with me, but I didn't worry like, hopelessly i just worried like man is she gonna be okay what's going on like you know a lot of unanswered things so that that was kind of the three days uh one pinnacle memory that i have is um my my longtime mentor took me to the store just to get because i didn't have like a toothbrush and i forgot he was with me and i was like wandering aimlessly like in the store and I came out and I, I'm talking probably an hour, maybe an hour and a half. I'm not, I lost track of time. Like I'm just wandering. Right. And then I forgot he was with me. And so I come out and as gracious and compassionate, because he's you know just been a long time believer and, and just gracious, compassionate. He's just out cleaning his car, just puttering. And I said, I'm really sorry. I forgot you were here. <laughs> like he drove me there and I forgot. And uh. so, so I think, you know, a lot of folks that have went through really hard times can experience that, that tension between like a loss of clarity. And, and then, you know, for me, it was just these blessings of, of calmness and, and peace and, and the Lord's presence being very active. Yeah. I think you said a really important focal point with fear. I don't think we go without fear, but I think the fear drives us to one thing or the other. Like a good example is the disciples in the boat. They had fear and their fear drove them to hopelessness, right? When the storm was hitting, Jesus was napping in the back. He knew what it was up, but they were just afraid. And so instead of driving them to the faith that Jesus could stop the storm, they instead mm -hmm. said, we're hopeless like this. But instead they could have said, Jesus, you know, this storm, I know you're napping, but this storm is getting a bit crazy right now. Um, we know that you're God, you can stop this, right? So it's, is that kind of like how it is with you? Like, it wasn't that hopeless, but it drove you to the Lord, drove you to, you know, some of those real strong faith-based friendships that you had to, to help prop you up and support you to carry mm -hmm. the burden, like you said. Yeah, and, and I have, you know, a wide array of uh, friends from even different spiritual backgrounds. And there's something about the that moment in crisis that, because there's there truly is kind of different advice people give you. I'm sure if I had called up a different set of friends, their solution would have been take me out drinking. Sure. You know, and numb and medicate and escape and flee the, the uncertainty. You know, but that's not, that's not where it would need to be at with the Lord. And that's not where, where shoot my, I needed to be as a person. Yeah. So I think it, the kind of, a lot of this came to a head and 
you know, so three days. And so on the third day, what's going to happen? So after 72 hours, at that 72 hour mark, they're going to do, kind of start raising her, her temperature very slowly. And so it takes about 12 or so hours to get a person's body temperature back up to like normal. And so they're about to do it. And that night before they're about to start all that, I had a thought or it was a bit of a mixture of emotion and thinking all in one. Cause I, I really, you know, I've had some friends that have lost children. I, I don't, you know, I honestly don't know of anything that is worse, you know, in just terms of how hard it hits. But the only thing that I can think of that, that in my situation was, was a little bit more heightened was, was the idea that I might need to be the one to make that decision, that I might need to be the one to decide to end life support for my child, that she could, because it was a very real possibility and we were getting prepared for this, mm. is that she could be unfrozen and, and warmed up and have little to no brain activity. And that we would then be faced with the, if we take her off life support, she'll die. Not effectively, we weren't the ones killing her in that moment, but, but I don't think that's a choice any parent should have to or should have to face really. And so that particular night, I, I spent in a mixture of prayer and lament. And since then, I've done even more kind of learning and reading in scripture. So I think of like Lamentations 3 and like there's times where folks lament and it's really just like whining or complaining. But it, when you look at what in scripture, when laments occur, there's something, and it, and it occurred for me that night, is laments are fully reasonable. Let our, let our burdens, let our hard things be taken to the Lord. Let us, let us, you know, talk about the difficulty of life with him. But when we're doing it in the spirit, there's a shift that happens, which is that we recognize the character of God. And, and for me, the biggest character attribute that I was focused on was kind of two part, two characters, aspects of God. It was God's love and God's absolutely perfect justice. That, that whatever is going to happen, that God will take care of it, that he, he has the control. He's sovereign that he is faithful, he is great, and he loves us. He loves my daughter. And, and if, if that day he's, he's with her versus her with us, amen. That's great. And, and I don't know how to, as we've talked, like, and I've shared with other folks this story, like that I could not be at that place without a much longer relationship with the Lord. Like this was, this was not like, some brand new teaching for me. This was not like, I didn't have kind of what I've sometimes have heard folks say, because I was, I really wrestled with the Lord. For me, the experience I had was the fulfillment of the promises that God has given us, like that he's given me, like he gave me peace when I needed peace. He gave me dependence when I need dependence. He gave me his presence when I needed his presence. Like he was there in the trash in the brokenness of this world, like he was present. 
And so uh, that was that moment. And I spent the you know entire night just in prayer and they started warming her up. Um, and so just, it was that, that whole kind of, it was, it, they started at midnight and then by about 10 or 1030, they had actually reached body temperature. And so to kind of conclude at least the story of her journey or give you at least where it's at in process. So that afternoon they did an MRI to detect and see like what's her brain function. And um, so she did have brain function, but also we, what was discovered was that certain parts of her brain were malformed. And so the reason, reason for not breathing was, was kind of related to these, these brain malformations. So she has something called dandy walkers and she has something um, she has, I don't think it has a name, but she basically think if you had like your brain right here and like somebody just kind of went like pushed in. So she has these two kind of canyons right here, right behind her frontal lobe. So it, it disrupts things. So she's got a bunch of diagnosis now, dandy walkers, she's blind. Um, she's got cerebral palsy and, and then that kind of began like a journey. So she actually got sent to another hospital that had a more intense like NICU. And we, we spent, I think in total about three weeks, 23, 24 days in, in the hospitals and, and like the continuation of the Lord's presence has happened even now. So she's just over two and a half and we've done, I think somewhere over 700 doctor's appointments It's three to five a week. So, so we're always now with the doctors. And I just think about things like, this is the type of child that people would say, you know, to abort. This is the type of the child that, you know, people like pity us. I don't feel those are actually off putting to us. And, and often when, cause I've actually had, you know, just a few folks say things like, well, I just feel so bad for you guys. And I'm, that actually hasn't made sense to me because we're so thrilled that she gets to be with us, that she's alive and with us. So we deal with all the like complications that come with having a child with disabilities and, and, you know, she's not verbal and she can't walk. And something I've learned about her that's I think just humbling is she has a gift besides, I don't know what to call it besides just the ability to like cut people to their heart. So I have a, a step grandfather calls, we call him Grumpy, J- Grumpy Jack. And the first time he met her, this is what he did. He, so he's got, he's starting to develop dementia. So he's kind of slowing down and he's just gotten kind of more crotchety and grumpy. But first time he met her, she just gives, she was about a year old and she gives just kind of one of those like laugh smiles that disabled kids will do. Just like, ah! right. Just like, just belting it out for the world to hear and enjoy. And he goes like this. Oh, hey, you're, you're pretty cute. <laughs> just just like this very tough kind of mountain man who's a logger his entire life, like just gruff guy. And he's just like, hey. And like, as just, you know, down to is just, you know, gentler self. And she does that everywhere. 
you know, she does it at physical therapy. She does it with the doctors and the delight to do be in her life. The delight she is in our life is not something that we actually feel bad about. You know, I think there's stress just, just like anything, you know, probably be the same if we had like some professional athlete as a kid, like there's the stress of just like, this is an active kid. We have a lot going on, but so, so I think in, in all just, just from there till even now, the relationship I've had with the Lord, the relationship Amanda's had with the Lord has shown through that, that this was not something that ruined. We actually did have to give up some dreams that we had planned. We plan to, to go overseas and do um, overseas missions, which that has really changed with, with her, her birth. Um, but I think in all, like the presence of the Lord and abiding and, and having that relationship has been critical and vital in our lives. Yeah. As you were describing that, the immortalized words of Psalm 23 came over me and a bit mm-hmm. of illumination, but that's what you were living. The Lord was your shepherd. You didn't have any want. He made you to lie down in green pastures. Even though the forest was on fire, he had you lie down in the green pastures. He led you beside those still waters. He restored your soul. He led you in paths of righteousness for his namesake. And then even though you walked through the valley of the shadow of death, literally the shadow of death there, potentially, he was still with you. His rod, his staff were protecting you. He prepared a table before you. All of that came active and alive in those moments that you were living in, for sure. Let's go to your preparing, though, because you said you don't think any of this would have would have happened if you didn't have the, the relationship, if you didn't have that foundation mm-hmm. that you had. And I think a lot of people assume the foundation is, yeah, I accepted Christ and Um, You know, I believe in him. So all of this stuff should work out exactly the same way as as it did for Scott and his family. But when we talked about preparing for the storm, we talked about three really important factors in the life of an abiding Christian. The first one was that we have to have that prayer, that relationship with God where we're communicating him on the regular. It's not before I lay me down to sleep, I pray the Lord, my soul to keep. It's not doing that every night before bed and then praying, you know, for meals. Thank you for this food and whatever. But this is an active relationship with the Lord of creation. The second part is reading his word, allowing that that manna to settle on our hearts and in our minds. And the third one was identity. And I think you you explained very well identity in yours, even though you never actually used the word. But you knew your identity was in the just one, as you said. And so throughout that time, your identity was set. It, it was irrespective of your daughter's condition, irrespective of the birthing process. You knew that you were held by the Lord. And I think you even said that there came the point where if God chose for Amelia to be with him that moment, and so be it. If he chose to be with us, so be it. And, and that's where that identity comes in. So let's go a little bit in. Help us to understand your preparations in, in prayer and reading the word and identity. How did those play out? How did those three factors play out in your life that you can recall before 
the the traumatic birth period even started? So I think when some of this conversation comes from like the conversation that people have around spiritual disciplines, right? What does that look like? I, I, I'm going to be, I'll be real honest about me. I am so ADHD. The idea of like a 30 minute morning, like, like devotional prayer has always been difficult for me because what I end up doing is like, it often feels unsatisfying. And so over the years, like my Bible study has, has really, I think, mutated to, I, and, I, and I think there is a really important word in any type of Bible study, you do, which is the active word. Like that it's not, it's not just like something that like, oh yeah, like this year I went away for a weekend for a spiritual retreat. And like, that's all I did. So like for me, but my active tends to be several hours that I will do of just like studying a passage. Um, I have a really hard time with the like short little snippet parts. Like it's, it, that's a challenge. So, so like more recently I've been in the book of Galatians and um, like, so, so that's like when I'm, when I'm doing Bible study, I'm in there for an hour, two hours, three hours, but then there might be a day or two where I haven't touched on it. And really I'm more in my prayer, prayer life those days kind of ruminating. And then I come back to the pastor, like, like what, <laughs> you know, or I'm pulling out some Bible study tools. Cause I'm not a Greek or Hebrew scholar. Like I got to use like, you know, and, and like Bible tools <laughs> online and like, what does that mean? Yeah. Like, you know, um, we're just sometimes sitting with, with the passage. Like I've heard pastors preach on Galatians, right? Galatians six, the fruits of the spirit. And then like their conclusion, like their takeaways that they give people are things like, okay, so go out and practice patience. Just work on being patient with your family this week, which I always think is kind of dumb. Um, sorry if anyone's ever preached that. Um, but, but I think it's dumb because the, the language, right? Fruits even in English, but the same as in, in Greek, it means the results of, right? So we're not supposed to be practicing the results. We're supposed to be doing the thing, which is abiding, which is yeah. walking in the spirit, as Galatians says. And, and so if we walk in the spirit, if we abide, then these are the rewards. Like these are the benefits of that. And so that's where like, how kind of Bible study. So I'm kind of a mold breaker in the traditional, like everyday <laughs> type of Bible study and much more like a couple times a week, I'm doing deeper studies. And then for several days and, and some of it's my ADHD, like once I get into it, like, I don't want to stop. <laughs> so, um, and I think the same goes for my prayer life. Like my prayer life has been, I think, aggressive and active. Where, like, I mean, if you, if we were probably to like do like a tally system of like prayers I'm doing in a day, it would, or like a scatter, it would probably be all over the board and frequent, you know, and a ton of little prayers. Yeah. Sometimes it's the end of the day where I've just heard some really brutal stories that have happened to people because I work a lot with trauma survivors where I'm just like, Lord, let me walk into my family with this not being with me. And he's so oh, yeah. faithful to that. Like, 
like I, I walk through the front door and you think like I'm a nerd. So it's like walking through the, the stargate or something like you're just in a new world. <laughs> um, and, and so I think in terms of preparation, it's, you know, I kind of chuckle at what you said earlier about like, you know, I'm saved and that's good enough. I'm like, man, any married guy knows that that is just not sufficient enough for a relationship. <laughs> what? Like, okay, you have the ring, we have the ceremony, like, I'm gonna do what I want. Yeah. <laughs> like, blah. good luck, guys, if you try that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? Um, and so I think, well, I think I, I know, like, that, that the Lord talks about, you know, I, I even think back way back to the Old Testament, right? When God called up the entire nation of Israel to the mountaintop. And they were like, no, 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 like, like send Moses. And like, even from the establishment of his chosen people, it was relationship. You know, when we look at like what was broken with Adam and Eve, it was being, being tricked, being convinced and following through with this idea that they can know more than God. They can know better than God in breaking relationship. You know, it's, I mean, sin at its core is about separation. It's that the world is crying. It's groaning because we're separated from the Lord. And everything he did was to bring us back into relationship with him, you know? And so to look at that and then to look at our own lives and just kind of do the, well, I'm saved now, like, and then continue living. Just, I think I'm heartbroken when, folks say that because how many blessings do they miss out on in their life yeah and even the blessings like what you experienced which normally people don't see blessings as like uh, emotional stability or a a sense of peace right the the blessings they think of as i i made rent this month or i got this promotion at work you know my my finances i got this wonderful beautiful bride or this handsome dapper husband or you know, I've got whatever it is that they define materialistically, but in your life, the blessing that you saw was not only your daughter surviving through all of that, but it was the peace that you felt. It was the, the, and even materialistically, it was the relationships of all those people. I know that there's a big cry for um, prayer for Amelia, which I had received the the prayer request for that. And and continued to pray in that, but I wasn't the only one. There was hundreds and hundreds of people that were invited in to, to share in that, that um, blessing, because all of us got to experience the blessing hearing that she had survived and that you got to bring her home. Finally, it was, it was a long time before you got to bring her home. Wasn't it? If I remember correctly. Yeah. Just over three weeks. Yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah. And well, I'll give you another blessing. I'm still married. Like the number of divorces that happen after intense like traumas and children being born with disabilities is high. Like it kicks up the divorce rate. And so, but having that, you know, relationship with the Lord, I think has been a blessing. You know, Amanda and I have had to definitely more things in our lives have been exposed because of this, that then we, we rather than blame or attack, we've, we've really worked toward partnering with each other. And praying and, and trying to work towards um, a relationship with the Lord even together. 
And I think, you know, I think in some ways our marriage has been strengthened as a result of turmoil. I think that's a blessing from the Lord. Yeah. No, and it, it goes back to the idea that we talk about a lot with the skills of abiding is surrender and submission. Living with dependence on the Lord rather than dependence on Scott being the head of the household and, and upholding and, and holding together everything from his own emotional strength or your wife being able to hold everything together through her emotional strength, trying to make sure the marriage works. You guys are living John 15, where instead of you two or your marriage being the vine, Jesus is the vine. And you're just branches off of that vine. You know, you're an entwined branch, but ultimately you're both off of the vine that Jesus talks about. Well, let me tell you, over the last two years, I can tell you the opposite has been true too. The times where I have been more in my flesh, that I have been trying to do it more on my own. Amanda's, you know, something that that's pretty quick to come after I'm, I'm not, you know, in a, in a solid relationship with the Lord is she'll say, Hey, I, I don't feel like you're around. And it's a, it's a quick telltale sign of my own lack of abiding in those times. And so it's, it's the blessings are there, but how quickly we kind of sabotage them with trying to do it our own way. Yeah. And so I, I always like truths that the opposite is true, right? Like it's good to work on your character. Why? Because, you know, the opposite of whatever character, you know, patience is a bad thing, right? Being impatient. And so the opposite of abiding, which is living in my own kind of will, living in my own kind of, I can do it. Well, then, then I'm left to the limitations of my own resources. Yeah. And whereas the alternative is if I'm abiding in the Lord, I have access to all his resources, which just sounds way better. It's kind of yeah. like, it's kind of like, it, like somebody came up to you and like, look, it, you can have your bank account or you could have Bill Gates's bank account. Like, you know, and, and even then, you know, what does an infinite bank account look like? What does an infinite pool of compassion and grace and blessings look like, you know, and, and that's what we have access to when we're abiding. Yeah, that's fantastic. You know, I, I really appreciate you sharing your story and going into detail. It's interesting though, because we haven't really had much interaction in years and I, I'm guessing you probably don't follow us because you've got a lot of stuff going on in your life. So you probably don't have enough time to go through all of our podcasts, but you're hitting on a lot of the same points that we've made with Genesis, that we've made with the word of God, that we've made with prayer time. And I think it's wonderful that the Lord is working in all of our lives separately, but in the same sense, he's teaching us the same thing throughout time. And he's probably teaching us the same things that he taught the you know, the church of Philippi, the church of Corinth back in the first century, he was teaching them the same thing back then that he's teaching us now. And that's such an important point because that radical type of Christianity that occurred in the first century is what birthed the 
movement of it throughout the world. And it's not this westernized Christianity where, you know, Christmas and Easter and I pray right before I go to bed and I pray over my meal, but it's really half-hearted and and I don't really give much time to the Lord, but in, in a, instead allowing that transformational quality to come from us like Romans 12:2. You know, do not be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It's certainly not TV, self-help books, or any of those things that's transforming us. It's God speaking to us, and he speaks to us through his word. So it's a it's another confirmation how the Lord is continuing to work in his workers throughout the world. So I appreciate you. What's that? Sorry, let me, sorry, I'm going to, I know we're wrapping up, but but I think you see that in the life of Paul in his writing. So you have Paul, it's like you actually can watch some of Paul's transformation because you have this guy that says, you know, I've prayed three times for this thorn in my flesh to be removed, right? Yep. That same guy later in his life writes, I have learned to be content in all things. So we have this prayer back here of, hey, can we just get rid of this to whether I'm fed or not, whether I'm rich or not, whether I'm in prison or not. I'm dependent on the Lord. I've learned to be content, you know, and, and he rejoices in that. Yeah. So, yeah, I think, I think the early church did it. We did it. God was teaching it to Moses back way back when. That's a good point. Yeah. Um, So we want to end with an important scripture that reminds us to abide in him. John 14, 23. Jesus answered and said to him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our abode with him. So as you walk through this week, we encourage you to review the scriptures and themes we talk about and ask the Holy Spirit to team up with you to bring this information to life personally in your walk. Thanks for listening and God bless.